0: Chapter 20, verse 18, it says this, Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Send Judah first. So Israel's getting ready to go into battle against their brothers, the tribe of Benjamin. The 11 tribes are all arrayed in the presence of God, and they said, who should we send up first? And God said to send Judah first. For those of you who don't know, Judah was the tribe that was responsible for praise and worship. They were the musicians and the singers and the trumpet bearers. Here's what God says, every battle that you face, send your worship first. Oh, if only we could catch the revelation that my worship is a weapon that my worship isn't just the opening part to get me warmed up for the message. It's not just there to get me in a good mood, but he inhabits the praises of his people. I wish I had some people that understand that when my hands are lifted, when my mouth is turned towards heaven, when I'm declaring how great God is, that heaven is releasing angels on my behalf, that my worship is my weapon. I can win more battles with my praise than I can win with my words. Now, it's also funny because they sent all the worship leaders in the battle first. And I could just imagine all these worship leaders with their skinny jeans on. You know how worship leaders are. They got their little worship scarf looking like Lenny Kravitz tied around their neck. And they're playing their little, could we go whoop y'all tail right now? That was right on too. Look at that. He said, send Judas, send the worshipers first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and they camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves on a battle array to fight against the Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. So Israel asked God, should we go to war? God says, yes, go to war. They went out and they lost. They didn't just lose, they lost 22,000 of their men. And The people, that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, asked counsel the Lord, saying, "Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother? Remember, this was a civil war against their own family members." Because my brother Benjamin, the Lord said, Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew their sword. So in two days, Israel lost over 40,000 men. So all of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and they wept. They sat there before the Lord, and they fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings and peat offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, God, what's going on? You said to go, but we're losing. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? Today's message is for that person who's asking that question. Should I believe God again or should I give up? Man, I've already faced two battles and those haven't turned out well. I've already faced two a diagnosis and that hasn't gone too well. I've already been through two surgeries and that hasn't gone well. Should I just give up now? The Lord said, go up for tomorrow. I will deliver them into your hands. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeon. The children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day. Somebody say, Third day. day. Come on, somebody say, Third day. You don't even have to be a good preacher to know that the third day is a good day. You don't even have to know a lot of Bible to know that Jesus rose on the third day. Come on, encourage yourself. Just tell yourself, if I could just make it to the third day, the first day didn't look too good because that's when he was hanging on the cross. The second day was hopeless because that's when the tomb was closed up. But if I could just make it to the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah at other times. In 35, the Lord defeated Benjamin on that day before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. Father God, give us strength to make it to the third day. Father God, I pray over every single person in the sound of my voice, even before I preach this message, God, that you would encourage, God, those that are losing courage, that you would give hope to the hopeless, that you would put a fight back in us, not to tap out in the first round or the second round, but to stand still, and we will see the victory of the Lord in every single area of our life. God, we're grateful, we're thankful. In the mattress name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen and amen. Somebody shout third day. We are uh, in in week four of a collection of sermons called Fight or Flight, Fight or Flight. And The heart or the mindset behind this series is quite simple. I want to turn you into a fighter. I just want to turn you into the type of person that you're not rocking back in the lazy boy of life, waiting for life to happen to you. But you are going to happen to life. So we talked about last week what life has a way of just knocking you around, beating the stuffing out of you and also taking the faith out of you, where you just kind of find yourself in a position where like, man, if I just live to see 2021, if my business can just make it, if my marriage can just make it, if my hope can just make it, or whatever it may be, if I can just survive, you may be tired of me saying it, but I'm not tired of saying it. Jesus did not die on the cross for survivors. He did not die for you to just make it. He said, I came that you can have life and life more abundantly. Come on, Baltimore. He died that you would be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. He didn't want life to be on top of you. He wanted you to be on top of life. But one of the things I've discovered is anything worth having is going to have to be fought for. There's just not many things that are worth having in life that doesn't require just a little bit of tenacity, just a little bit of gumption, just a little bit of I'm going to fight for what I believe in. I'm a, not a huge boxing fan. I love boxing. I, I, I watch UFC or what, for whatever it may be. But, but I'm also kind of cheap. So so I, I don't really pay for the pay-per-view fights. I'll I'll wait for somebody to repost it or or to let the news come out the next day or whatever it may be, but something about paying $100 or $150 for a fight, I'm just like, I've actually done one pay-per-view in my life. It, it was Mayweather against Alvarez. And if you remember that fight, it was the boringest fight. It was a decision in the end. Mayweather danced the whole time, said, I'm too pretty to get touched. Well, touch somebody because I paid $150 to see this. So I'm going to need for something to happen happen, but I just, I just don't really pay for pay-per-view fights. The other problem is pay-per-view fights work, happen on Saturday nights, and, and I work Sundays, so I got to go to bed. Anybody who's watched a fight, you know, if you're a fighter, no offense, but, but they have, you know, the undercard, the fights that nobody's really excited to see, and then the one you paid for doesn't happen to like 11, 12 o'clock at night. At that point, you're like, just knock them out already, I've discovered, though, that when you've invested in a fight, when you've paid money to see it or whatever it may be, especially pay-per-view, they don't want a first-round knockout. They don't want a quick fight. They know they're going to have a whole bunch of angry customers if it's a quick fight. They want that thing to go into the late rounds. Now, oftentimes, the the challenger, the amateur, the person that's challenging the champion, they want a quick fight. You'll see in the first rounds, they'll come out swinging. They'll come out aggressive because they're like, I have a better chance of winning if I can just catch this fighter slipping, if I can catch him in the jar or whatever it may be. If I could end it early, I'm doing well. But if you study fighting a little bit, you'll realize the, the experienced boxer, the veteran boxers, they're not really trying to get a quick fight. Matter of fact, they're trying to drag the fight longer. They they, they call it dragging their opponent into deep waters. It's almost the imagery of an alligator who, who, I'm not going to fight you on the shore. An alligator will take their prey, and they'll drag them out in the lake where they'll drown. Because they said, if I could take you out into deep waters, the environment will finish you off. I don't even have to do it myself. And, And those veteran fighters, they know the deeper rounds it gets, the worse your stamina is. The more exhausted you'll be, And the more exhausted you are, the more likely you are to make a mistake. I have a question. What happens when a fight goes longer than you thought? What happened when you were planning on a first-round knockout, and here you are three years later still battling the same illness? Huh? What happens when, when you believe that this marriage situation, we're going to get some marriage counseling, we're going to knock this thing out in a week, he's going to get over his issues, I don't have any issues, so I'm good, but we're going to fix this whole thing, and here you are six months later or, or two years later, and, and, and it's not a quick win. One of the things you have to understand about your enemy is he's going to try to drag out the fight. Because he knows the second you get that diagnosis, the second you have a job loss, you know sometimes you lose your job and you're like, thank you, Jesus, I hated that job. (laughs) And I actually need to have more vacation time this year, so now I got a built-in vacation, this is good. And it's not until about six weeks in that you're just like, hmm, all right, this is a problem. The enemy knows, like, in the beginning of that fight, man, man, you have a loved one that's sick or whatever it may be. You're fasting. You're praying. You're bombarding heaven. You're calling your prayer warriors. You're ready to go. But what happens is after 21 days of prayer and fasting, the battle's just begun. It's not even close to over. In, In this passage that we read, the children of Israel, they're in a civil war you know the history of Israel, that there were 12 brothers that God turned into a nation of 12 different tribes. The youngest brother of the youngest tribe was the tribe of Benjamin, and they had turned their back on God and had committed an outrageous atrocity, actually abused a woman to the place where she died. The other 11 tribes says, we cannot allow this abomination to stand in the presence of God. They went into a civil war. They cried out to God, says, send Judah first. You're going to find victory. And they went out to war and they lost. What do you do when you're obeying God and still not seeing victory? Here's the thing. If you're living a wretched life, you expect Drama. I think we in church, we can be honest, you know what I mean? You, you know you were petty for that. You, you know you were wrong for that. You know that wasn't God. You know you lied or whatever it may be. So whenever the funk hits the fan, you're kind of just like, you know, it is what it is. I thought I was going to get away this time. Maybe I'm not. You expect it. But it's a different story when you're honoring God. Yeah. It's one thing when you're doing your own thing and you lose your job. It's a completely different story when you're tithing. When you're not just tithing, but you're generous on every occasion, not just giving to the church, but you're being a blessing to people around you, and you still find yourself in a financial hardship. It's one thing if you're just living like whatever. It's a completely different thing if you're eating right, you're exercising, you're honoring God, and you still get sick. What do I do when I have the favor of God and I still lose? Not just one day, not just two days. But 40,000 lives lost obeying God. What do you do when the fight goes into the late rounds? Maybe you find yourself in a fight that's lasted just a little bit longer than you thought it would. I hope to encourage you today. I just want to give you not even three points, but just three words. Just three words that I believe is going to help you see the battle that you're in or the battle that you're going into. To the late rounds. Baltimore, you're with me. The first word is this if you're gonna make it to the end of this fight, you're gonna to have to learn how to rest. You're gonna to have to learn how to rest. You, you don't even have to be a boxing fan, but you know how it works. They, 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 if it's UFC, they may have three five, round fight, uh, five, uh, five minute rounds. If it's boxing, they may have 10 rounds or 12 rounds, three minutes each, and and you get in there, and for the clock ticking three minutes or five minutes, you just go at it, you ham it out. But at the end of the round, everybody hears a, a bell. Come on now. You'll actually hear a click, 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 and that means there's 10 seconds left in the round. And that three clicks, it tells the fighter, if you could just live for these next 10 seconds, just run around for your life. Do whatever you have to do. But if you can live for the next 10 seconds, there's going to be a bell. And at that bell, you get to go to your corner and rest. Could you imagine? You're watching a fight. And the bell rings, ding, ding, ding. And the ref is like, go to your corners. And one of the fighters says, no, let's keep going. I don't want to rest. I don't need to rest. Let me at him. And that boxer's like, well, you can stay there. I'm going to go rest. And one boxer goes in his corner, and he's getting iced up, and he's drinking water, and he's getting strategy. And the other boxer's in the ring. He's like, no, no, I don't need a rest. I don't need a rest. Let me go. If you're watching the fight, you would say, that guy's a fool. Or that girl's about to get knocked out. Like, they're missing an opportunity to revitalize their energy so that they can go at it in another round. But for some of us, you've been in a fight for the last 12 months, and you haven't taken one rest. You don't know how to, s- here's what I've learned. A fight will never give you a good time to rest unless you decide, I'm just gonna step back. Like if you're battling cancer, when's a good time to rest? Huh? If you're raising children, when's a good time to rest? Some of them, you haven't even thought about it, but your plan on resting from your kids is 18 years from now. Some of y'all got 30 year old kids, you're like, nope, 18 ain't the number. Here's what I've learned. In order to not quit permanently, I have to learn how to quit periodically. In order to not throw in the towel permanently, I have to learn how to step back periodically. Hear me, business owner. When you wake up tomorrow morning, those problems are still going to be there. (laughs) Go to sleep. Isn't it amazing how we struggle to step away from something? How we get so consumed in the fight or the problem or the situation that we're in that we come home from work, but even as we're sitting at dinner with our family, we're still fixing problems in our head. And as soon as the kids go to bed, it's right back to our phone and we're pulling up that email and trying to figure out how do I word I hate you to my boss in a way that won't get me fired and it can actually kind of be missable where we're constantly in the fight, not realizing that's not a strategy for victory. After the first defeat, Israel stepped... Wars back in the day were so civil. Like the sun rose... They went out and chopped each other's arms out. And as soon as the sun sets, see you tomorrow. <laughs> Nowadays, we dropping bombs on people at midnight like, surprise! <laughs> but they realized that we need a moment that we're going to step away. They didn't just step away, but they got into the presence of God. And they took a moment to just, come on, just breathe. When's the last time you just breathed? I'm, I'm blessed to have friends all over the country, really all over the world. And, and I got some country friends. Not, I'm not talking about like some country, like country, country friends. I, I was actually spending some time with a friend on their farm. They have a farm with 20,000 acres of land. Y'all, 20,000 acres. That's a farm farm. That ain't these, no offense, that ain't these little Howard County, you know, made some grapes or, or got a little strawberries or some corn or whatever. That's like a whole doggone state. We're out on their farm. You know it's like a Howard County farm if you can see the whole thing on ATV. <laughs> they said, hey, let's go to a property. We jumped in a pickup truck. The ATV don't got enough gas. We need a truck to drive this whole thing. And and we're driving these 20, and I mean, it is just beautiful. They turned me into a country boy. I was looking at the dirt. I was like, that is some beautiful dirt. Look at that dirt. I had never, I mean, it wasn't brown dirt. It was black dirt, not like this red clay we got in Maryland. I'm like, that is just amazing. But I noticed something. Out of the 20 acres, they were only farming 10 of it. So they had 10 acres of corn and produce and all that other kind of stuff. And then they had 10 acres of just dirt. And you know me, I'm, I'm a little ambitious. I'm, I'm, I'm like, let's make it happen. Let's move. And I see 10 acres of corn. I see 10 acres of money. Oh, it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a really good year. And then I, then I see 10 acres of dirt. And I see 10 acres of missed opportunity. And I'm like, why didn't you farm all 20,000 acres like you're missing out on money. I mean, I'm not trying to be your advisor. I'm just saying the prosperity of the Lord is right there in front of you. (laughs) And they said, clearly you're not a farmer. Let me tell you how it works. Every time we have a harvest of sweet corn, that sweet corn steals the nutrients from the dirt. And if we farm this dirt year in and year out every single year, every year the corn is going to have less quality Till eventually this dirt will produce nothing. It may look by letting that land rest that we're missing out on opportunity, but by letting the land, come on, say it with me, rest. We are guaranteeing prosperity for hundreds of years. Actually, not maximizing a moment guarantees that I'll be in the fight for years to come. Some of us have never walked past an opportunity because we're so fear-driven that we think if we don't maximize it now, it'll never come around again. Not understanding, if you maximize every opportunity now, there may not be any of you left for tomorrow. Here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. How many days? Come on, Americans. How many days? So this whole five-day work week, it ain't biblical. God said work six days, so you You deal with that any way you want. He said, work six days, you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do. So on the Sabbath you shall do. It didn't say on the Sabbath you should go to church. It didn't say on the Sabbath you should worship God. It said on the Sabbath you should do no work. I have a question for you, Baltimore. Is murder a sin? I'm hoping Baltimore said yes. Be more careful. All right. (laughs) Is lying a sin? Come on, Columbia. We'll give you an opportunity. Adultery? Stealing? Worshiping idols? Working seven days a week? I don't want to answer that one, Pastor. You know what's amazing? you would never follow a pastor that was a murderer. You'd have an issue with a pastor who was a liar, but you're not really concerned if the pastor keeps the Sabbath. But it's in the same top 10 list of everything else that we, for some reason, we've put a hierarchy to the 10 Commandments. Idols, bad. Stealing, bad. Workaholics, ambitious. <laughs> but here's what God said. He said you need to rest. There needs to be, here's what Sabbath means. There means that it needs to be one day every seven days where you don't do anything that makes you money. You rest. Here's what we don't understand about ourselves as humans. We are limited resources. We're not limitless. We're limited. And those of you who don't work physically, you work with your mind, hear me. You have a limited mind. Your creativity, your problem-solving skills are limited. And if you don't rest, you don't have an opportunity, watch the word, recreation, to recreate your energy, to recreate your creativity, some of you business folks that you said you've just hit a ceiling. I used to be innovative and problem-solving. I used to know what to do, and, and it's just not coming as quickly to me. Could it be that you've skipped Sabbath, and you've drained the farmland of all its nutrients, and you're running out? If you're not familiar with the Bible, pretty much the entire Old Testament follows the children of Israel, And it's just this cycle of them honoring God, being blessed, them dishonoring God, and going off into captivity. Honor God, be blessed, dishonor God, off into captivity. I mean, it's just the they were invaded by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians. It's just the whole Old Testament. Well, there's one passage where Daniel comes before God, they're in captivity, and he said, God, you promised 70 years we would be slaves and then we would be free. It's the 70th year, let us go. And I was just wondering, what's so special about 70 years? That's a very specific punishment. Well, as you do your research, you'll find out that God commanded Israel to farm for six years. But on the seventh year, let the land rest. By the way, any wisdom in the world came from God's word. So watch this. Israel said, no, there's too much money to be made. So we're not going to let the land rest. So for 490 years, they farmed, made money, and ignored God. And God says, fine, you will either rest voluntarily or involuntarily. Here comes the enemy, drags them off into captivity, and for 70 years, the land rested. Watch this, one year for every Sabbath that they skipped. I'm not being a doomsday prepper or prophet, but I'm just wondering, did God just make the world rest in 2020? And said, if you just want to go, 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 drive, 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 then I'm going to shut everything down, 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 down. Because you're not invincible. We need, I hate that verse. He maketh me. Lie down in green pastures in order to restore my soul. Psalm 127.2 says this, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Hear me. If you're too anxious to rest, if you're just going, 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 can't sleep at night, always problem-solving, you are missing an amazing gift that God has for you, and that's rest. If you're going to make it to the late rounds, you got to learn how to rest. The second thing is this. If you're going to make it to the late rounds, you're going to have to learn how to regroup, how to regroup. Dr. John Maxwell, he says this. He says, experience is not a great teacher. Yeah, people are, man, I I was raised in the streets. I went to university, hard knocks, and you have a concussion. Uh, (laughs) He said, experience learning the, I don't wanna know, I wanna learn the hard way. That's not, he said, experience is not a great teacher. Evaluated experience is a great teacher. And one of the things is, it's so exciting. It's so much fun to preach. You get to unpack God's word, point people to Jesus, and you also get to talk about people. And as long as you make it sound hypothetical, it's all the way good. And I'm not talking about anybody at Destiny Church because you guys are all great. We're talking about the church down the street. But uh, <laughs> you ever met people that just date the same joker? <laughs> Pastor, I didn't know you were going there. I mean, you've, you've been friends for 15 years. And it's like that song, same script, different cast. They just find the same loser at different heights <laughs> with different names and different socials. are like, I've I met you before. No, it's the first time we met. No, I've met you before. You ever met people that run in the same money problems? Like you've met them, you've known them for 10 plus years. And they start telling you the problem you're in. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we talked about this. They say, no, 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 this is new keep picking the wrong job that's not their gifting not their strength over here's why because experience isn't a good teacher unless you evaluate it if you're going to make it into the late rounds you can't just pause and, and spend time resting you got to step back and you got to say this isn't working and one of the things that 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 I've discovered this is going to be hard but y'all got helmets on you'll be all right Just because you're trying your best doesn't mean you're doing what needs to be done to make progress. And sometimes we find solace into, I'm working so hard. I'm giving so much effort. If you are driving at 100 miles per hour on 95 South, I don't care how fast you drive, you're never making it to New York. You're on the wrong road. It's not just about effort. It's about, hey, is this the right strategy for victory? If you watch sports, especially if you watch any of God's teams, which are the Baltimore Ravens, God help us with that Washington team today that has no name. There's no way we're going to lose to some nameless team. I mean, y'all even got a name. Y'all can't beat us. <laughs> or God's other team, the Los Angeles Lakers. The favorite of the Lord. But uh, the Lakers coach, uh, uh, Vogel, uh, he, he's known around the league for his halftime adjustments. They said the team that you play in the first half of the Los Angeles Lakers is not going to be the same team you play in the second half because they're going to come out in that first half. They're going to work their strategy. They're going to do whatever they do. And then at halftime, they're going to evaluate and they're going to come out with a completely different strategy. Can I just tell you, I'm preaching and all that, but I also lead an organization. And one of the things that I've just taken the approach of during this pandemic is, hey, this is just halftime. Like, I don't care what you're going to do. You're not going to be doing much in this season. We can't even get out of the state line most of the time. So here's what I'm doing during this season. I'm reevaluating I'm looking at our systems, I'm looking at our strategies, I'm looking at our approach, and I'm saying, whenever America does open up fully again, whenever we get back to whatever our new normal is, what's our approach gonna be there? We have to learn how to step back and ask this question: Is this working? Some of y'all are putting a lot of effort into your marriage, but it's not working. Some of y'all are putting a lot of effort into raising your children. I know this is mean, but hear me. They some aliens. It ain't working. You got some bad kids. (laughs) Some of them are mine, so pray for me. (laughs) Here's a hard one. Some of y'all are putting a lot of effort into your faith. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're showing up to church, and, and it's not working. You need to change your approach. If you've been coming to Destiny Church for a while, Baltimore online, you'll know I am very cautious with the words God told me. Every message I preach, it's from God's word, I study God's word, I look at commentaries, I pray over you all week long for this message. But it's very rare that I'll tell you God told me this as I was preparing this message. I was excited about this message. I was prepping it. I had all my notes. I was ready to go. And, and honest to goodness, I don't have many, and I'm trying to help you understand this moment. I don't have many conversations like this. But I'm sitting in my office on Thursday, and I said, God, I can't preach this message. I had all my points, all the verses, all the illustrations, ready to roll. I said, I can't preach this message, God, because I don't understand it. Because you told Israel to go out and fight. You told them to send Judah first, and they lost. God, they didn't just lose one day. They lost two days in a row. They prayed, they fasted, they sought you, and they they lost 40,000 soldiers. And God, I love your word, and I believe your word is true, but I don't understand this. Let me just take a quick pause. If there's a part of God's word that you don't like or you don't understand, because you're not God, always make the assumption that you're just not seeing something. Don't make the assumption that he's wrong or that it's, God, help me. And I'm just, God, help me see this. And he says, Stephen, here's why Israel lost. And, I mean, the answer came in seconds. He said they lost because they were fighting against themselves. Y'all, oh, wow, that was deep. I'm not that bright. So I was like, Holy Spirit, you got to explain that because that. Nah, I'm missing it. He said, Stephen, it was a civil war. They were fighting their brothers. They had grown up with them. They had, had, had done business with them. They had played with them. This, was, this wasn't a random invader. This was family. And yes, this was family that had abused somebody, murdered somebody, turned their back on God. They needed it to be dealt with, but it was still family. And when you pull out a sword and you're getting ready to go to war against an enemy, you don't think twice. But you're going after family. It's like, ah. Oh. And he said, Stephen, the reason why they lost the first two days, even though I told them they would win, is because they were fighting with themselves and they couldn't bear to kill, hear me, a part of themselves. Here's what I've discovered. Before I will see external victory, there's something internally that has to die. Before I see victory in my relationship, there may need to be a death of my pride. Before I see victory in my business, there may need to be a death of my ambition. Before I see victory in relationships, there may be death in the rejection issues that I've carried this far in life. What you may not understand is every battle externally has an anchor internally. Everything that I face externally, there's something that's going on internally. And God is saying, I want to bring victory in that area, but there's something in here that you have to kill first. Before you'll see that that's that's tough. I don't feel like laughing no more. Pastor, this ain't funny no more. Tell us some more boxing stories. Well, here's a boxing story. Until you knock out your ego on the inside, your marriage on the outside will never work. Somebody say prove it. Third John chapter one, verse two, it says this, beloved, I pray that you may prosper that every area of your life will move forward. Watch this. And in all things be in health. He said, I pray that you'd be healthy just as your soul prospers. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Here's what the writer was saying. Hey, everything that goes on in your life is going to be as healthy as your heart is. I'm going to say some savage stuff, then I'll encourage you a point three, and we'll go get out of here. Y'all ready? If you have money problems, you have heart problems. I don't like hearing that It was the truth. If I have repeated relational problems, I have heart problems. If my career has plateaued, why you got to go there, Pastor? I just got to bring it down on the bottom shelf. If my career has plateaued, hear me, my heart has plateaued. Because the Bible says that my life is going to progress at the pace that my heart is progressing. And it's impossible to have a broken heart and a whole life. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart flows the issues of. Watch this. Even atheist doctors believe this. You'll study reports and they'll tell you people that have terminal illnesses, their life expectancy and their body's ability to fight that disease is directly connected to that person's will to live. If that person has hope, maybe if they have children or grandchildren to live for, if they have something that they're looking forward to, if they're encouraged on the inside, their body responds. The healing process is accelerated and they have more likely of a chance of beating that sickness, even if it's terminal. But if they say, if that person that has a physical health problem, but they don't have much to live for, they've already lost their hope, life has been beaten out of them, the health, their body responds to their mind, their will, and their emotions. <laughs> Hear me, before I can win outside, I got to win inside. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just a mistake that I've learned in life. I've spent a lot of times rebuking the enemy. And I realize the enemy is is in me. There's something in me that God says, until you kill that, I don't care if it's family. I don't care how long pride has been living in your house. Until you kill that, you'll not win this victory outside. Rest, regroup, last thing is this. I got to re-engage. If you're going to win a late round fight, Not a sprint, not a 100-yard dash. It's cross-country. Three years in and you're still fighting. If you're going to win it, you're going to have to learn how to re-engage their faith. So they get into God's presence. They fast, they pray, they worship, they rest, and they re-evaluate. And watch this. They came out with a different strategy. That third day when they finally won the battle, they didn't go head on. The Bible says that they set an ambush. They they, they changed their approach. Somebody say, change your approach. Some of y'all, that's, that's the word. You go home right now. Please don't leave. But you could, that's, that's all you needed. God just said, hey, you're doing it wrong. You, you need to change your approach. But they go to God that third day. They said, God, are we going to win? He said, yes, and you will surely today you will see victory. Now, the first two days, they said, God, should we go? He said, yes. But he didn't say they were going to win victory. Here's what I've learned. I'm going to pray, but I ain't going until I hear that victory word. God, if I could skip day one and stay two, like, hey, go. No, what I got to work on. Nope, I ain't going out there because you can get me toe up. Now, let me just, just figure this out right now. It's a pride. It's insecurity. I'm going to work on me because I ain't going out there to get whooped. I ain't losing no $20,000, $18,000, whatever I'm going to lose. I got time for that. Let's just skip to the third day. Anybody, third dayers, come on now. I'm, I'm going to skip day one, skip day two. I just want to get to the good part. But on that third day, he said, go today. You will surely win victory. Can we just be real? By the way, always read your Bible real. God, you said that yesterday. You said to go out yesterday and I lost 22,000 soldiers, God. You said to go out the day before and I lost 18,000. God, I'm so glad that you said all the promises of God are yes and amen, but I'm still sick. Like, let's be real. What do you do when you hear the promise of God, but there's a skepticism inside of you? When when, when the doctor says you have three months, but he said by his stripes you've already been healed. When the economy says that your your business is non-essential, but he said never have I seen the righteous begging for forsaken or their children begging for bread. What do you do when God's word contradicts the reality of what you've seen? They had to make a decision to re-engage their faith. Hear me. It's not the promise of God that brings victory. It's your faith engaging with the promise of God that brings that victory. It reminds me of the disciples. Y'all remember the disciples? The 12 that followed Jesus. The Bible says one night they were fishing all night long. It says they had thrown their nets out everywhere, and they caught nothing. They were tired. They were exhausted, and they came back to shore. Jesus said, have you any fish? Sometimes, boy, I can't wait to get to Jesus. And Jesus is like, you got to explain, man, because you look like one ignorant dude in Scripture. <laughs> they came back with nothing. I'm like, did you catch any fish? I just feel like Jesus is like, did you catch any fish? <laughs> man, you know we didn't catch anything. <laughs> why, why, why? No, I'm not being sacrilegious. Why you you the dumb questions? You know we didn't catch nothing. He was trying to highlight, is that relationship working? Jesus, you know it's not working. Are your finances keeping you up at night? Is your business prospering the way that I told you it would when I put it on your heart? The disciple says, Jesus, and they they were humble enough not to kirk out. They're like, no, we don't have any fish. Jesus said, let down your nets one more time. (laughs) Trust people one more time. Put in that job application one more time. Believe for healing one more time. Go to that parent and try to restore that relationship. One more time. I feel like there's somebody under the sound of my voice that you're getting ready to tap out. Maybe not physically walk away, but you're getting ready to rescind your faith. You're getting ready to just accept that circumstance as the fate of life. I'm just going to have to deal with this sickness, deal with this brokenness, deal with this, deal with that. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, God sent me to say, send out your faith one more time. He said, if you would just throw that, I know it didn't work. I know you fished all night. I know that you've prayed and you've cried and you've fasted and you've believed. But if you would throw that net out one more time, it says they pulled in a catch so heavy that their nets began to break that they had to call other people in to help them pull it up. Hear me, if you would just re-engage your faith in God one more time, you are on the verge of a breakthrough that is bigger than anything you could have even prayed for. In Hebrews 10, 20, 35, it says this, do not cast away your confidence. I know it's a pandemic, but don't cast away your confidence. I know 2020 didn't go the way you expected. Do not cast away your confidence. Why? Because it has a great reward. You have need of endurance. So after you've done the will of God, here's what I read is that after you've killed the part of you that's not pleasing to God, After you've dealt with that pride, that fear, that insecurity, that ambition, or whatever it may be, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promises of God. They are yes, and they're amen. It's taking longer than you thought. This fight is going into deeper rounds than you thought, but don't you dare throw in the towel. Victory is still guaranteed. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that. God, you're not like man, you cannot lie. Father God, I pray for hope and courage for every single person in the sound of my voice, God. So many of us, God, just tired. Just pushing, pushing, pushing. God, I pray that you'd give us strength not to give up permanently. But give us enough faith, God, to rest momentarily, to rest in your promises, to rest in the fact that you have it under control. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe you're in here or watching online or in Baltimore and you realize, you know what, Pastor, I can't say, that I've ever rested in God. Oh, I've been fighting. I know how to fight, but I've been fighting by myself. I've never asked God to be a part of anything. Man, I'm tired of fighting by myself. I need God in my life. If that's you, listen, that's why we exist as a church, to introduce you to a God that loves you more than you can humanly fathom. You say, "I want that God in my life, right where you are in this room, Baltimore, online." Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, "Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for being a place of rest. Thank you for dying on the cross, so all of my sin, all of my mistakes, can be erased today. I surrender. I give you full control of my life." Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.